Welcome back to Round Guy Radio. We're talking hockey, Iowa Heartlanders hockey specifically, and we got David Fine with us. Welcome back to the program, David. How's it going? What's going on? Well, all I can see is just stuff happening for the Heartlanders about every every couple minutes. You know, you got big announcements going on. Uh, let let's let our listeners know what's going on. Yeah, there's a lot going on. Uh, when we talked about a month ago, sort of the the start of the of the lot of news, but again, the team starts in October, and the team has been building. Um, Derek Damon, who's the Heartlanders head coach, uh, has signed. I think like I think it's like eight, nine, ten people since we even we last talked. Um, we're up to uh, a little bit less than that, like six or seven. We're up to eleven players signed. Uh, I'll correct myself on that. We're up to twelve players signed after uh, our announcement yesterday. So TJ Fergus signed a contract with the Heartlanders, an ECHL deal. The Heartlanders have signed six forwards. Fergus is one of five defensemen. And then Corbin Kaspersky is the only goaltender uh, signed at the moment. Um, And the signings the past few days have been good. These are new guys. These are the first new faces. Uh, The Heartlanders had uh, 10 returning players. Uh, that were that have been announced so far. There may be a few that that link up eventually. That haven't, you know, for one reason or another, haven't decided to put the pen to paper yet. Hopefully, those t- can get worked out. But the uh, two new guys uh, are Alex, uh, beg your pardon, Alec Bretzman, and then T.J. Fergus. Bretzman was a two-time captain at Michigan Tech. Not a, a, a huge goal scorer, more of like a um, defensively responsible forward, a great leader, but can also score. He scored more than 10 goals a year. He averaged more than 10 goals a year for a good program and a defensively-minded program at Michigan Tech. And he's a, he grew up a Minnesota Wild fan, which is always a plus. And then T.J. Fergus, he's going to be a he's going to be a good project for the Heartlanders. He'll be you know young in terms of his professional career, but he had a lot of experience playing uh, university hockey. So he'll come in and have a chance to establish and prove himself in his first full season. Well, that's that's pretty interesting. Plus, I, I hear we got a, a preseason game kind of coming. Yeah, you, 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 you're keeping me honest. Um, just a few hours ago, before we hit record, um, there is preseason hockey returning to Extreme Arena, but it's the level up from here. The AHL, uh, the Heartlanders are affiliated with the Iowa Wild and the Minnesota Wild. The Iowa Wild play in Des Moines at Wells Fargo Arena. They'll be here on Thursday, October sixth. 7.05 p.m. against the Chicago Blackhawks top affiliate, which is the Lockford Icehawks. So it's the Minnesota affiliate versus the top affiliate versus the Chicago top affiliate. And again, that's on a Thursday, October 6th, with uh, tickets now on sale. So that's good news. I mean, that's, uh, you know, it shows that Minnesota and Chicago see Extreme Arena as a viable place to let their prospects play. Like, they don't do this just because, oh, it's our affiliate, ah, we'll get the preseason game. Like, no, every game for these guys is important, and they want to make sure their prospects are, are taken care of and safe and they develop the right way. So having Iowa Wild and Rockford Icehawks is a great sign for Extreme Arena and for this organization that the, you know, especially when it comes to Minnesota, that they're like, this is where we want our prospects to play games. We don't mind if they do, and this is a good place to have it. So, yeah. The uh, preseason, AHL preseason, is going to have a stop at Extreme Arena on October 6th. Well, that does sound pretty exciting, you know, to get that level of sport there in Coralville. Uh, uh, I, I imagine fans will be chomping at the bit to get to see that. I hope. And it's on a Thursday night, so 
I hope that people can make it out. Kind of a nice little weekend start. It's the return of hockey to the arena. That'll be the first hockey game at Extreme Arena since the end of the regular season last year. Uh, last preseason, the clubs faced off. It was the first game ever held with fans at Extreme Arena, and the Iowa Wild ended up winning. They won in overtime. It was a really exciting game. Uh, if I'm remembering right, I don't have the box score in front of me, but they won 4-3. to three. I know that. But they scored two goals in the final few minutes of the game to tie after they just played. They played terribly uh, for the first like period and a half, like just weren't on their game. And then they kind of started to turn the tide, and they ended up earning a 4-3 come-from-behind win. Um, that was an exciting game, and we're, we hope it's another exciting one on October 6th. Will this be the first uh, game for the Wild, or, or will they have some other preseason games before that? This will be the, well, it's actually the first and the second. And the reason I say that is uh, they're, they're playing, a, it's not, I wouldn't call it a scrimmage, but on October 5th, the night before on the Wednesday, they are playing. Um, but that game, uh, like last year, we did the same thing. As a chance to let, um, you know, make sure that we have everything firing on point and that we it's a little tune-up for our interns and our fans, uh, our interns and our, and our staff, I should say, before fans come in. So the October 5th game will be closed to fans, or October 5th scrimmage is closed to fans, and then on October 6th, the real deal. So those are those are the preseason games, so to speak, for the Iowa Wild. So uh, when does the regular season start for, for well, the Heartlanders? The NHL, it'll start a week later. For us, it starts two weeks later. So the Iowa Wild, their regular season starts on Friday, October 14th, and for us, it starts a week later on Friday, October 21st. Well, when will these players that we've signed be, get to Coralville and start practicing? Aha, uh-huh, now I see where you're going with it. Yeah. So the players that we sign, they will be here. They can start getting here around the beginning of October, but uh, training camp practice opens on uh, it's either the 9th or the 10th. But, uh, the players will either be there on the 9th or the 10th to step on the ice for the first time. They're still getting the official dates uh, figured out, but with that being said, um, it's either the ninth or the tenth that they'll be on the ice for the first time, and they'll get to you know they'll get the coral bill a couple days beforehand. So basically, if you're following the flow here, um, the Iowa Wild play their preseason games on October sixth uh, here, that that game uh, to fans on October sixth, and then it's possible that with their regular season starting a few uh, a week after that, pretty much on October fourteenth, uh, we might know who from the Iowa Wild and who Minnesota and Iowa Wild will decide who will you know, be sent down here to start the regular season for us. So we might not have everyone here when practice opens on October 9th or 10th. That's Minnesota and Iowa Wild property. It only takes a few days, but we'll have a much better idea of it. And that's good that the Iowa Wild and Rockford Icehawks are playing here to get a look so that you know, we, you know, we can work in conjunction with them to figure out what fits best. So the Iowa Wild will have probably more players than they need and have to pare it down after a few games to, before they start yeah, the season? as injuries don't play a role that should be the case so you'll probably get a few of these guys that are in this preseason game that actually well some of them will get some time here at uh, Iowa somewhere during the season won't they yeah well yes correct but last year just like you said there were a number of players that played in that game that um you know we ended up seeing a week later or less than a week later so that's the best part about it for us too is it's like we get a chance to and our fans here in Coralville will get a chance to see um, you know, as long as, you know, knock on wood injuries, that's normally how it goes, Dave, is that there's a lot of players on the roster and they have to cut for the opening night roster. And so then the, the players that um, aren't ready yet to take the step up, they get to develop here first before getting called up as the season goes along. 
Well, let's talk about some of these new players. Uh, what, what kind of skills are they going to be bringing to the table? Yes, yeah, so some of the new players that are joining the Iowa Heartlanders, um, I mentioned Alec Bretzman. Uh, he's a, you know, a two-time captain of Michigan Tech, like I said. Uh, so that's a tough hockey conference that they play in there. Um, it's a very sort of like gritty conference, and it can settle into kind of defensively-minded hockey. Um, but Alec has been a winner at a lot of the levels he's been at. Michigan Tech hockey kind of has gone through a, you know, up and down a little bit the last few years. But being the captain for two years of a college hockey program is a big responsibility. And he did a really good job as a sophomore and a junior in terms of putting up some goals. Last year was a lower-scoring year for him, but he played in almost every single game. Uh, and then before that, he played uh, for the Madison Capitals and the USHL. He was the captain there, a good leader. And then he won a state title in Minnesota high school hockey before that. He's from Wisconsin, but he went to a private school 25 minutes from where he uh, grew up the Saint Th- at St. Thomas Academy right outside of the Twin Cities. So in other words, like, he has that kind of some of the winning, the winning and the leadership, which is always, you know, coaches look for those types of intangibles, whether, you know, it, it doesn't necessarily mean everything, but it means something. And then the other new guy, TJ Fergus, came from the U Sports level. He actually was acquired by the Hartlanders last year. There was a trade kind of midway through March, right around the trade deadline. Hartlanders acquired two players for future considerations. Uh, player number one who played a handful of games was Russell Jordan, kind of like a fighter, grinder guy. Uh, he lasted for a, a few weeks with the team, uh, and then the Heartlanders had a numbers crunch, so he didn't make it till the end of the regular season. However, T.J. Fergus was acquired, and the reason why the Heartlanders were able to sign him, he decided to go back to uh, Acadia University to finish his college career, and Acadia University is located in Nova Scotia. So he was playing at Acadia University. Um, and then they had a COVID shutdown. Canada was a lot more strict than Iowa, as we know. Um, that's been well documented. But anyway, he was playing in Wolfville, Nova Scotia, this small town, 4,000, 5,000 people at Acadia University. He joined the Florida Everblades for a month because of COVID shutdowns. He wanted to continue playing. And then he decided after Florida traded him here, it wasn't a knock against Iowa. It was really smart by him. He said, I want to finish my, my college you know, degree, get my degree. I have the opportunity to do that. I need to be there in person at Acadia University to get my degree. And so he ended up going back, finishing his degree. Um, you know, he has a pretty good degree as well. I think it's in management or business or something. So he's got a career after he finishes hockey waiting for him for sure. And then what happened was this summer, the Heartlanders held his rights still because we had traded for him midway through last year. And we were able to have his rights to sign him. He wouldn't have been able to um, sign anywhere as an unrestricted free agent because the Heartlanders held his rights for a calendar year. So it was actually a really smart move by him and then by Jerry Fleming and Derek Demon at the time um, to make sure they kept his rights instead of just letting him walk back to college because now he could be a defenseman and a reliable one the entire year for the team. So that's a little bit about the two new guys, uh, Alec Bretzman and TJ Fergus. Well, let's talk a little bit about COVID restrictions. I see the NFL is going to start the season with absolutely no COVID restrictions. Are there going to still be kind of some kind of COVID protocols or anything for the Heartlanders this year? Uh, well, I'm sure there's going to be something in terms of, you know, if a player tests positive, this and this and this. Like, you can't just, you know, let a guy that might be really sick, you know, walk out the field. But we'll see. We'll see exactly what they negotiate. Um, I'm not sure exactly what the protocol is going to be. Last year they announced it about a week or two before the players actually reported. Um, but it's interesting because, you know, we're moving on. 
a point where, you know, there's people kind of, you know, we've been through the ringer on this before. And so we know after last year, there were some restrictions um, and, you know, there was contact tracing that was followed and you wanted players that had been exposed to, let's say, their roommate, you know, and who, who tested positive, one of the other players on the team. If they sit next to him in the locker room, you know, they might be asked to wear masks for a few days and then hopefully they show no symptoms and they're good to go. Um, so that type of stuff will be negotiated still. And I'm sure there will be some minor things, but it's not going to be at the level like it was two years ago, for example, when Major League Baseball came back from, you know, that summer of 2020 and played, you know, games, uh, you know, the, the, the 60 games or whatever they ended up playing. Um, so it'll be a lot less restrictive. There won't be anything really significant that's going to, you know, knock out 15 players like they did in NCAA football a few years ago. Like, oh, if you, you know, were around this player for five to ten minutes, um, you know, you're going to sit out the game this weekend for contact tracing. We've moved past that part. So now it's just a matter of the little sort of nitty-gritty stuff getting worked out. Well, that's good because I hated all that stuff. It was a nightmare and a half. Plus, when I first started watching the Heartlanders, there was uh, it was really causing havoc on the rosters, you know. But uh, yeah, that was in December, and that was. But, but Dave, the thing to remember with that is that that was legitimately a, a you know, I think it was like we were we were less affected by it. But I'm pretty sure there were five or six guys um, over the course of two or three weeks, and like the reason why that happened is not because of contact tracing. That was because of like, you know, they tested positive and they were under the weather. Who knows whether they would have been able to, to play. I remember, uh, you know, one of the players in particular, I'll, I'll spare his name for, for purposes of this, but, you know, he had confided that like, he had, you know, felt out of shape, like he was out of breath at points and like he needed a few days to kind of kick back into shape. So it's good that last year, nobody got severely ill. And that's ultimately the point. These are young Help, relatively healthy, you know, 20 to 30 year old guys. So that matters as well. But, um, they, you know, they want to make sure that the ones that test positive in particular, you know, you don't want to shut down an entire team and therefore lose revenue and money. So we're lucky that we avoided that last year because the guys, the guys did a good job of, you know, being honest with themselves and, you know, taking the test when they needed to. So, uh, I don't know, you know, you know, ballpark, but how many players did we go through last year? How many players? Yeah, total. I mean, like, you know, because it just, there's a lot of players going up because they got good skills or coming down from the Heartlanders or, you know, there's the injuries or something that someone's up ahead of us has got to fill. So, uh, you know, and then we used a lot of Quad City Blues players and back and forth when we need a few players. So we probably went through a lot of players last year. Yeah, there were more than 50. I forget the exact number off the top of my head. And the good thing was it kind of really slowed down as the season went along, which was nice for us because, like, at the beginning of the season, we had a lot of turnover and new players coming in and yada, yada, yada. I go through the entire list. But what ended up happening was that, um, the uh, you know, because the COVID stuff kind of slowed down, that ran its course through the team, which was excellent because we all deserved to have that happen um, and it not be as crazy as it was. So, you know, normally a team runs about, like, 40 players and we got to the 40 mark really quickly but then there were only if you remember in the months of february and march because the team was winning it was a very consistent roster so we avoided the worst of it and to answer the question for you it was officially 46 skaters and then 10 goaltenders so 56 players 10 goaltenders huh wow yeah now some of those were uh, emergency backup goaltenders that the ones that played a game huh, i'd be able to tell you 
there were five goaltenders that played, and then we had five guys as well um, that you know were signed to ECHL contracts or as back, emergency backups that never played. But that counts, you know. I, I wouldn't necessarily say they you know make the list of the, the, the all-time roster, but there were 56 players that you know at one point were practicing or playing for the Heartlanders. That counts. You know, you're with the team for a week practicing, even if you never get in the game as a goaltender, you're still part of the team. So. Yeah. So there are some. How many how many players are official? And then it seems like there's two or three players that are kind of like they're just for an emergency or something. How many, uh, officially, there would have been, let's see, five plus 46. No, I'm just talking about, you know, like for a game, you've got so many active players and it seems like there was a few uh, maybe standing by or something. Yeah, yeah. So, I mean, normally what you do is you have like 20 players active for a game. And then, you know, because of the changeability in this league, we had a number of players only play you know, one, two, three games. That's how it goes. So I'm counting here. There were uh, 13 players that played less than seven games um, as a uh, as a forward, and there was only three goalies that played more than seven games. So that shows you that it was actually pretty consistent, but there were a lot of in and outs, as there always is in this league. Yeah, it was. Uh, it did seem like I do kind of remember when there was just a tremendous amount of roster change and, and variation we were losing. And then when we finally kind of coalesced around a, a particular group, then we really started winning. Yeah. And I think that was. And that's, but it's funny you say that, Dave, and I, because that's what happens when, when you're healthy and your affiliate is helping you out in the ECHL. That's every team. Like teams go on runs in this league when they have the roster that, at the beginning of the year, you know, the coaches put it on the whiteboard and said, this is who we're going to win with. And then obviously, because of the changeability of this league, guys get called up and you have to adjust and bring in, you know, players for handfuls of games at times. And the players that are coming here, they know the deal. They might not know whether they're going to play one game or 10 games or five games. But if they, you know, if they're struggling or not performing or whatever it is, where they get called up, like that's how this league is. So when the Heartlanders were winning those games, that was coincidentally, and probably not as much of a coincidence as I'm saying it would be. It, you know, they were they had the roster that they thought they would have at the start of the year. That was with Chris Bennett and Ryan Tupner and you know Reese Molek and Fedor Gordeev and all these guys that became fan favorites in year one um, were those AHL guys and NHL contract guys that we thought we'd have at the start of the year, and they were all healthy and we were winning. Well, do we have any of those AHL contract guys yet? We don't know officially. Now, what you'll see is that the Iowa Wilds have signed a handful of players to what's called a two-way contract. So there's four players that have officially been signed to that by the Iowa Wilds. Um, Kevin Conley and Mitchell Balmas and Pat Curry are three of the forwards. Um, and then I should say five. Matt Murray and C.J. Bott are the other two. One's a goalie and then Matt Murray's a defenseman. Um, but those players were signed so that their ECHL rights could be uh, sent down here if they need to be sent down. They weren't signed for us, but that gives you an indication when a contract is signed to that. It has a specific type of value and meaning to it. Of you know, Those guys could realistically maybe be here, but in reality, if a player's on a one-way AHL contract, he just needs to get reassigned here. There's nothing like waivers or any of this nonsense that they had to go through it's to be reassigned here so um it, you know 
the two-way contract maybe means something because it just means that uh, Iowa Wild and Minnesota have distinguished that this player's ECHL rights will specifically held by the Hartlanders if he comes down. Um, but it, it doesn't necessarily mean much when it comes to that because they can be sent, you know, the Iowa Wild want their players to develop here. They'll just be sent down here no matter what, if, if, even if they're on a one-way instead of a two-way, if that makes sense. Oh yeah, if they you know if they need to if they're not getting the playing time that they wanted to have, I'm sure they'll uh, put them down here where they can get it. But so let's talk about the this group that's returning. Uh, you know, uh, I think last year everybody was other than we had a, a, a we seemed like there was just one player from the year before a, a, a goalie started with a B or something like that was from the team before. Yeah, but Derek Barabo. Yeah, yeah, Barabo. But uh, this year, with all these other players coming back, how do you think that cohesion and, uh, you know, the people knowing the area and the arena and uh, knowing how to play together, how, how is that going to get us off to a better start? Yeah, and that's exactly it, because the team started 1-0. and They won one of the most exciting atmospheres I was ever a part of in, you know, my short career. But, um, you know, we won the first game 7-4 over Kansas City. And, you know, Ryan Kuffner scored uh, less than 30 seconds in, which is pretty remarkable. Uh, the first goal for team history, and then it kind of rolled from there. But then the team lost seven in a row, and that was the longest losing streak the team had all year. And, you know, the first night, first first games you can always almost throw out, and they don't necessarily, like it meant a lot to the fans, but, you know, you're never going to go back and say, oh, that first game got us off to the start that we needed as we won 40 other games and made the playoffs. Like that's just, there's a lot of ebbs and flows throughout the year. So after the team started, you know, essentially one in seven, um, after that, it's a year in, in an uphill climb all season. And that's because if you go back and look at the roster from like game three or four or five, when the Heartlanders, you know, they dropped one by nine goals, they lost 10 1, and they needed overtime, to, uh, you know, against Wheeling, and they got outshot terribly in that game, but found a way to scratch a point. And then Toledo came in and kind of dominated, and Cincinnati did the same thing to us, and Indy did the same thing to us. As that was all going on, basically there were only like eight guys that ended up making it to the end of the season with the Heartlanders because the team was trying to figure out what their lineups would be. So at the start of this year, you know that, like, Reese Smolek is probably going to be on the team um, the entire season. He's a constant. He's signed to an ECHL contract. He should be here, um, you know, this year as well. So when you talk about that, like, you know that half the team is probably in contention to make the roster, and you know what they bring to the table, and the coaches know what they do. So that's really good from the Heartlanders' side because you can essentially write in 10 players and say a month into the season, they're probably going to be here. Whereas when you think about it last year, these guys were, uh, you know, some of these guys didn't play in the ECHL the rest of the year after starting with the Heartlanders or they pursued other opportunities or they retired after they got, you know, released or whatever it is. So that's, that's the luxury that having 10 players back is because now you know that these guys are reliable and going to be able to perform at higher levels because all these guys are so young as well. So that's a major advantage the Heartlanders have compared to other teams in the division because they were so young last year and succeeded near the end of the year those successful guys will come back and make it a good start to this season. Well, there must, we must be doing something right. There must be an environment that uh, uh, the players like, uh, the, they must like the coach, because why would so many of them come back if, if uh, they didn't feel like this is a great place to be? Well, that's exactly it too, Dave, because that's the culture that Jerry Fleming, like he was here for years or head coach, 
And he built that with Derek in year one. And that's important because from that perspective, like guys don't want to think about why people come and leave jobs. Like there are studies that show that people don't leave jobs because they can make an extra thousand dollars, you know, at the company across the street. People leave jobs because they might not feel like they're having a good time or respected for their work or, you know, the role might not increase. But the culture that Jerry and Derek, no different than hockey players, the culture that Jerry and Derek built here was this is a great city to live in. It's a brand new arena. We want you to be active in the community among our fans. And additionally to all that, besides, you know, the fact that you're playing professional hockey, we want to give you a clear development model to succeed. So by in a, in a nurturing atmosphere where we value your opinions and, you know, we work with you on your development and we're honest with you. So those, and they're good guys. Like Jerry's a great guy. Derek's an amazing guy. And, and Jerry's just as good as a guy as Derek. So they built that culture. And that's why guys wanted to come back because it's a lot easier to call someone in June when these resignings started happening and be like, Hey, Zach White, you did great for us last year. We want to help continuing you develop. Look what you did in year one. You had a fun time here. This is a great place. You're familiar with it. You can be one of our leaders next year. Do we have your signature? Yes. That's an easy an easy call to make. Yeah, I don't think he was twisting anybody's arm to come back. I mean, no. I mean, if Yuki wanted to come back from Japan, I'm sure he could play You know, a lot of places he wanted, but uh, he seemed to make a connection. Talk to me a little bit about some of the, and we're running close to out of time, but talk to me about, uh, you know, some some of the players' reactions. What, what do they think of, of uh, Korobo? Yeah, and if you go back and watch, like, on the website releases, I do a little, like, video with them at the top of the press release if you go on iowaartlanders.com. So if you go and watch those interviews, I try to ask everyone, like, why? Like, why are you coming back? Or how do you feel about coming back? And they all say the same thing, almost exactly the same thing which is something to the effect of if I was a player, I, based on the 10 of these I've done, they're like, Derek Damon has been, has been amazing, you know, to work with. I trust him with my development thing one, because that's ultimately they want to get to the AHL one day and, and stuff like that. So development from Derek, they love the arena. They love meeting the fans last year. They love the area. And they know the organization really trended up at the end of last season with a number of fans that came through and the winning that happened. So, those are generally the three or four things that they all say, and it all shows that we're doing things the right way here. It's really easy in minor league hockey and in minor league sports when you have a thousand jobs in the front office and you're thinking about the, the microest of micro pictures at all times to forget that fans and players want to come here because they want to have a good time. So we're doing that, and we saw that at the end of last year start to pay dividends with the hockey players winning, and that's why the hockey players want to come back. Well, I know nobody. I mean, I talked to, to Coach Damon uh, last year, you know, and uh, I, I know when you graduated at Syracuse, you know, you didn't say, boy, I just hope they send me to Iowa. And I, I know I know Derek didn't have any uh, uh, dreams of playing in Iowa. It wasn't until these guys got to Iowa where they thought, wow, this is kind of a nice. Well, exactly. And that's the thing, too, is like you have to – but it's different from other ECHL cities because you can go – on you know Google Maps and go on these ECHL cities and look what's around the arena and it's not like it is here. That, there's there's only a handful of other spots. I might say Boise, Idaho is the Idaho Steelhead. I guess maybe Allen, but Allen uh, Allen building is fine, um, but it's different there. It's more it's it's more fast foodish around their arena and chains. But with us, it's very like you know mom and pop. You're in the Iowa Riverlands. We built this. 
Um, you know, it's very, you know, locally community organized. It's not like there's McDonald's, um, you know, McDonald's and Burger King next to the arena. There's McDonald's close to the arena, don't get me wrong, but it's like very mom and pop and, you know, local investors have helped build this because this wasn't here 10 years ago the way it is now, 15 years ago. It wasn't this way. The truck stopped 15, 17 years ago. So by being able to sell them on these things, players can go on Google Maps and look this stuff up and they realize, oh, this is pretty sweet. And there's a college here. And it's a, oh, it's a fun young college town. And these guys are in their 20s. They know, you know what's going on. So that's part of the reason and selling point as well is the area. Because, yeah, I didn't know much about Iowa City before I moved here. I had driven through a few times when I was working in the USHL. And I drove through here when I moved back to the East Coast for a few years in Pennsylvania. But once you get out here and you see it and you drive around town, you get it. It took me two days where, remember, I was going for a walk through one of, like, the walking trails in Coralville or whatever, a nice one, um, up by the Coralville, like, sports park or whatever, youth sports park, and there's, like, this nice trail that kind of runs behind it. It's about an hour to walk from my place to get there. And I was walking there. I'm like, I get it here. And, you know, a lot of our players are from Toronto or Montreal or, you know, maybe, like, Michigan and they never been through here before or Chicago and they've been here maybe once and it doesn't take long for them living here to be like, I get it. That's when like, the players understand why it's a great place to live and play. Well, I'm glad it's a great place to live and play. And I'm really glad to see all these guys are back, but uh, unfortunately we're out of time. It always happens. Every time I talk to you, I, I uh, we go through 20 minutes of it before I even realize it. But uh, thanks for being with us, David, and keeping us up to date on what's going on. Absolutely. Thank you.